the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 181. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to the show. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I, so... Long quiet pause there. Right, right. I'm good this morning, but I wasn't yesterday or the day before. The day before that, mm. um, you know, I have what I don't think any psychologist would call depression, but I think it's it, it goes it's on a spectrum like most things. I mean, this is mm-hmm. my theory. Maybe this is already been touted as a thing, <laughs> but it's, I didn't make this up, but I feel like it's a spectrum, like a lot of things. I, um, since I've been sober, I don't often go to the, to the extreme dark side. I did though, when I was still drinking, but I do, I do, it show, I show up on that spectrum sometimes. And, um, I think I've been in it. Um, I've been in the valley as, 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 as it is, um, biblical reference, you know, I've walked through the valley, valley of the, death. Sh- yes. the shadow of death. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but you know, it was so interesting this morning. I woke up just kind of like, okay, here's another day of it. Mm. And I, you know, did my things and read and meditated and read some more and just kind of sat quiet quietly like I do most mornings and then I had to go out to my car I had to go pick up something for Chloe Mm -hmm. and um as I was walking out to my car like this breeze hit my shoulder and I was like oh wait it's gone (laughs) like Mm. I felt this levity or something it was it was embodied and um like I'm like I I think it's gone today I and then I just got this kind of surge of energy and it and it and it is gone it's just like the fog's lifted or something and I so I feel better today oh 
glad. Yeah, the change in season too. I know sometimes can there's some kind of a shift that's happening um, that can happen too. That little breeze. I thought you were going to say that was God on your shoulder. Well, yeah, I think so. I think so. It was definitely. um, I took notice. Put it that way. Yeah. Like it blew. It's like it blew away. It it actually, you know, physically blew something away. Wow. I know we have to go through those times and that's okay too, but it is nice to return to ourselves. You know, it does feel like we're, you know, that's part of us too. That's our wholeness, the darkness. I I definitely feel that. Um, But not for too long. I can't stay in that place for too long. It's hard. Yeah. 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 And I think we wouldn't appreciate the times when we were not there (laughs) if we, you know, didn't ever go there. So. Right. Oh, well, um, yeah, changing of the seasons, um, moods, uh, shifts. I, I feel that too. It seems like the time. It feels a lot of emotion for me lately. Um, I'm feeling really good, Sandra. I'm feeling happy. Good. And I'm also, because of that, remembering and kind of getting a little, not nostalgic, that wouldn't be the word, Uh, I'm comparing to what it was like. I keep going back to what it was like and how did I get through it or how did I do this or how did I manage? Well, I just freaking did, you know, so I need to quit visiting that space. (laughs) You know, I keep going, gosh, this life is so good right now. And, you know, and I have this or that or, but I didn't before. And how did I manage? And I keep just trying to return there for something like to get some nugget out of it. And, um, yeah, I was talking with my sponsor yesterday and she was like, why are you comparing? Mm. Don't compare, just be in what is, kind of just be in this moment. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes that'll set you up for some kind of limiting belief, true, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Where you, when yeah. you, you know, you, you fall back on, on history yeah. as what is possible, then, then that is what will become your reality. Yeah. So I can't try not to stay there for too long. I mean, I just do so much self-examination, Sandra. And you know, that's, that's like the name of the game in recovery, right? We're constantly kind of, I'm not afraid to go there like I used to be, you know, and that comes with, you know, a few years of sobriety under my belt. Like I feel like I've advanced in a way and then, you know, it can knock you right back. And one day you're like right back to square. I'm like, wait a minute, I thought I handled this already. <laughs> but I think I had that talk with, um, Amanda Kuda on her Instagram live about my marriage and about um, uncoupling and, you know, being with a spouse that drinks. And since then I've had this little kind of history um, popping up and reminding me like, that was really hard. What I did, that was really hard to stay in a household that had alcohol for five and a half years. That was really fucking hard. Oh yeah. I, think over the years I've expressed to you how hard I, <laughs> I thought it would be for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. I think to acknowledge that is, is, um, significant. Yeah. I was just, it, it amazes me. And then it made me mad at myself that I didn't, um, you know, speak up for myself more or use my voice. That's kind of a big thing in my recovery with my sponsors. We talk a lot and my therapist about, you know, what it takes for me to use my voice, which is funny since I do 180 some odd episodes with you and I talk all the time, like, but to really use it in a way that is um, advocating for myself or 
or having firmer beliefs and not letting not 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 that's not the word um not allowing or accommodating um something that's not okay with one of my core values right i once heard on a ritual podcast um I'm trying to remember who said it, and it may have been dreamy Dr. Zach Bush. But he was talking about <laughs> he was talking about resilience, mm-hmm. and he said, "Be aware if you often call yourself resilient, mm-hmm. if that is something that you fall back on as a descriptor of yourself. Be aware of that because that means that you're constantly putting yourself in spaces." where you need to be resilient. And mm-hmm. why is that? That's yeah. a question. Um, it's a good probing question, right? For so, sure. you know, therefore, if you, you know, if you would have called yourself, look, I'm resilient. I can stand in the face of this alcohol. Maybe the truer question is, or the better question is, why? Right. <laughs> why do you have to be resilient in this instance? Yeah. Yeah. And I've never thought of myself as resilient, but I get that. And maybe, maybe I just wouldn't even name it. Right. Sandra, like you don't, you don't want to name it to, to claim it as we, as we talk about, like it just, I think I just dissociated and I didn't fully understand what that was until recently. Mm, yeah. And, I'm good at that too. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a, I mean, it's a survival skill. It's a, sure. it's, it's to stay safe yeah. and to cope and, that dissociation from um, in my marriage and what I did from my body and just lots of things, you know, just starting to talk about these things recently has just really brought up a lot is all. And then on the flip side to be um, treated so well um, in a new relationship, I feel like that's lovely and I don't want to self-sabotage but I can't help, but it keeps reminding me all the good things keeps reminding me of all the things that I tolerated mm-hmm. and, and, um, it makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Gosh, I'm already starting out the show crying. This is awesome intro. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling all the feelings, Sandra. It's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's right on the surface. So, um, but do you want to, you know, promote anything before we dig in? Cause we have a freaking awesome guest today. Yes, we, we do. We have a, and sure quickly, I will keep, I'm just a broken record, but sign up for my newsletter at the Um, read my blog. If you don't like newsletters, it's there at the as well. Um, under, uh, words, I think. <laughs> It's nested anyway. <laughs> it's nested under, you got to search around, dig around while you're there. There's lots of things to look at. You could spend some time there. Um, and I'm still taking clients for Change Your Story. If you want to work with me one-on-one, if you have a story to change, let's change it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, good. Yeah. And I'm just starting to take discovery calls, free discovery calls for people who want to um, change their drinking as well, uh, or not as well, but change their drinking. Um, TammySolace.com free discovery call 30 minutes we can dig into it and see um, if you're a gray area drinker or if you just want to you know change your life and add some creativity to your recovery I'm happy to help with that so TammySolace.com and yeah let's get into it we have a really awesome guest today well they're all awesome but you know she I was just I wasn't super aware of Erin I'm so glad you introduced me to her 
we've been, we've been um, emailing a little bit, uh, but I loved our conversation with her. I know, I know. Today we have on the podcast, the Reverend Erin Jean Ward. Um, she's an Episcopal priest, spiritual director, writer, and peer coach at Tempest. Um, she lives in Austin, but she's from Alabama and you can tell that. <laughs> she loves all things vintage, cats, travel, and comedy. Yeah. And uh, she uses she, her pronouns. She can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Erin Jean Ward. Um, and her website is the same, erinjeanward.com. And on her website, you can sign up for uh, her sobriety and spirituality newsletter, which I promptly did. Oh, good. I did too. Yeah. yeah so I met Erin just real quick at, um, at Holly's book signing at Book People in Austin, the, the conversation that I got to facilitate back in 2015. No, Feels like kidding. that. It was, you mean February. <laughs> it was just in February. And I keep making that joke and it's still relevant. It's still yeah, good because it so seems long. like it was so long ago. <laughs> but Erin just, um, I just loved her and I immediately followed her on Instagram and she's funny and she's smart and she has a lot of great things to say about um, recovery and spirituality. I think you guys are going to love this interview. Yeah, she, so we talked about rabbit holes on this, um, interview of kind of going down these rabbit holes. And I have to say, since we interviewed her last week and since this week, I did a whole bunch of, um, research on the unruly mystic St. Hildegard of Bingham. Yes, she is. I, yeah, yeah. I have a book. I was excited. Yeah. She's very unruly and so creative. And so smart. Yep. Yeah. There was this one little thing, I, just because I didn't know a whole lot at the time and when we were interviewing Erin, but just that she, what I really liked about it, because this is kind of what I feel like we do in recovery and that women that I know do, but she devised her own program for continuing education. So she just kept educating herself and creating her own way of what interested her. And, um, you know, she was an herbalist with like 2000 remedies. I did mm. not know that. And mm -hmm. she studied precious stones and she's known as the saint of creativity because she's super creative. Right. Um, and she made mandalas with her art, Sandra. And um, they likened it to saying like, you know, she made mandalas with her art, but people can create physical mandalas in a circle together. Mm. Maybe not during COVID, but, um, but they would become like angels guiding each other and how we connect and interconnect with ourselves. Oh, and I, I just, that. I just thought about the women that we get to commune with on Sunday on our Sunday um, calls, you know, those free, free sober call um, sessions that we kind of do on Sunday morning called get unruffled at nine o'clock um, Pacific, 11 o'clock central. And we commune with our angels in our community. And right. and you have to be in our secret Facebook group to oh, yes. link. So if you yeah. are curious, if you think you want to come to one of our calls, then um, just find uh, either myself or Tammy on Facebook. Send us me a message saying that you want to be added to the Facebook group. Yeah, email right. identified only. Yeah, and I and that those are free, totally free, and they're and we're just getting a really beautiful community on Sundays, and I really appreciate it. Um, but the thing I'll end with before we jump into Aaron is there was a quote, and it just said, <clears throat> "All life is a pilgrimage." We are all on a journey and none of us have arrived. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love so, that Hildegard. Yeah. She's a smart one. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy Erin. We sure did. Yeah. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. 
Welcome, Erin. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome, Erin. We are so happy to have you on the podcast this morning. Um, we like to start the show talking about the weather and where you're from. <laughs> and I know where you are talking to us from, but why don't you tell our listeners? This is really funny because I do processing calls at Tempest where I work and um, by accident, it became like weather report. Yes. Because mm -hmm. I would start all the calls and be like, it is sunny in Austin, Texas. Um, <laughs> so today, as you would know, Sandra, it is actually quite lovely outside in Texas. I broke out all my pumpkins and broke a sweat doing so. Uh, <laughs> but come hell or high water, I will celebrate autumn in Austin, Texas. You know, that's right. And it's funny that you said that because um, you're, you're correct. If, uh, if you're already breaking out the pumpkins in Texas, normally you are, you are sweating during that activity, <laughs> but we are having an unusually cool September. And I have mentioned this before. Um, Global warming is real people. I will fight you on it, but um, we are having a strangely cool September here. But you're kind of new to Texas, or are you? you? You've recently moved here. I've recently moved here, but it was a return. Got so, it. So um, I actually, so I was born and raised in Alabama, which is probably something you can hear when I speak. Um, and you know, lived there all the way up through college and then actually moved to Austin, Texas to get my master's of divinity degree. And so I went to seminary of the Southwest, which is um, kind of over by UT's campus. Uh -huh. And it's an, it's an Episcopal seminary. And uh, so I lived in Austin for three years to get that degree. And then um, I lived in Waco for three years. I lived in Dallas for three years. And then I'm just now returning from Oklahoma. Got it. So yes, you are, you've lived, you're, you've lived in Texas long enough to call yourself a Texan almost. I mean, I'm, I'm Wait, just, those are, those are big words, Sandra. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and anoint that um, okay. to you. Wow. I've received that. I, I have all the boots. I mean, I heard that was really the, the mark. Oh, uh, I loved going boot shopping on that little street oh. in South Congress. We went into that boot shop. Um, oh, yeah. All the hot pink and gold boots. I really like those. Very, very. Cute. I actually live off of South Congress. Uh, this is my favorite part of Austin. And as I like to tell people, when we're not in a global crisis, it's a really fun place to live. It really <laughs> is, right? My ex-husband used to live on South Congress as well. And um, yeah, whenever I would take my son drive my son down there. It was like, oh, it's just so, I mean, I'm, I'm probably only 12 minutes away without traffic, but sometimes that feels like a world away when you're not downtown often. Yeah. Every time I go to Austin, um, Aaron, I want to move there. So actually <laughs> you and everyone else, right? Yeah. <laughs> or when I go to Portland or when I go to Paris, but anyhow, it doesn't matter True. wherever I, go, I want to move there. I'm like, I can imagine myself here meeting Aaron for coffee. Yeah, I could do that. I could do yeah. that. You I'm sound there. like me. Like I'll go to Los Angeles and I'll be like, I could do this. Like <laughs> I could do this. And I'll go to New York and I'll be like, I think, I think they could use this, uh, an Alabamian around here like I just <laughs> everywhere I go I'm like I can picture a life for myself right. <laughs> oh I love it um 
Well, just real quick, I met Aaron at Holly's book signing at Book People. Um, what was that like five years ago, Aaron? Yeah, or February. <laughs> five years ago, or February. Yeah, exactly. Or February. Um, that was actually my last event before I um, went back to Oklahoma, packed up, and moved here. And two days after I moved here, we got shelter in place. Mm. So that was the last like hug I got. Right. Um, it's yeah, it's weird to think that that was my last event before the uh, pandemic really changed things. Yeah, I know. It does feel like, I mean, I know I did a few other things after that, but it feels like that was the last kind of significant social event that I <laughs> experienced as well. And it seems so long ago. Oh my gosh. Or you could be in a room full of people and yes, and you know, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, but I, it was so lovely meeting you. I'm glad that you, I'm so happy that you introduced um, yourself to me and you are adorable and I've been following you on social media and I was so excited that you say, said yes to come on the show. So um, why don't you tell our listeners, we like to, after we talk about the weather and where we're from, um, <laughs> we like to, um, the, we'd like to uh, talk about, you know, what brought you to recovery? That's a great question. Um, I have a whole history that will eventually be a book, but you know, I think that I started as what I would call a social drinker and, um, you know, that works until it doesn't, uh, it's social until you bring it home. Um, and things really shifted for me regarding some experiences of trauma and, um, I began to just really see that it was no longer something that was building me up or serving me. And so I had a couple of sort of attempts at, at getting sober that were really, really private. And it's so fun to be chatting with you, Tammy, because um, my first 40 day stint of sobriety was the mantra project at oh, Tempest. Wow. And so for my first real attempt at sobriety, your art was a part of every day of that. Aww. And um, just reading those mantras that Holly wrote, and um, I saved all of your pictures to my phone, and I would look at the mantra throughout the day as a source of real encouragement as I did something that I didn't think was possible. Aww. And um, yeah, so I think of you often as I think of that time in my life, but I, I left that time and I really had not done some of the other work that I think is so integral in sobriety. And so following that, I went back into drinking and um, moved to Oklahoma. I really did the sort of, I just won't go anywhere or do anything attempt. Mm, um, yeah, isolate yes. to the extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yes, which it, it worked until it didn't, as things do. And, and right at that two-month mark, I, I just, I got invited to go out to dinner. And I was so lonely that I didn't really know how to do anything but say yes and go back to drinking. And so I went back to drinking for maybe five or six months. Um, but then I really went back into it. And I got right up at that two-month mark, that, that time and my previous attempt where I just couldn't do it anymore. And that's when I joined Tempest because I really wanted a community. I needed people who could just 
with integrity say that they understood what that was like. And um, that was the real shift for me. And so that is how I have sustained sobriety for almost two years. I'm coming up on two years in November. Congratulations. Well, Erin, I have so many questions because you are a priest, correct? Is that how you, is that your title? I sure am. I am an Episcopal priest and I worked for seven and a half years full-time in congregations and it was in my last congregation that I did, you know, all of my sobriety work, essentially. Um, I had started doing it when I was in Dallas with uh, the Mantra Project, but my real attempts and my actual sustained sobriety happened when I was at my last church in Oklahoma and um, actually left full-time parish ministry to go work at Tempest. But in the Episcopal Church, you can be what we call bivocational, which means you can be a full priest in the church and also have a vocation that is not um, directly spiritual. And so I'm able to still do ministry in my way and live into my priesthood while simultaneously working for a non-religious company. Mm, interesting. So, so I guess my question is, what made you turn to a um, non, wait, non-secular? Am I saying that right? I always get confused about secular, non-secular um, means of recovery as a priest. Yes. So I think the term we would use is secular for what secular. Is. Thank you. Got it. Um, sort of secular, uh, non-religious. Got um, it. You know, it's funny. I, I, I've, I've shared this with a few people. So the number one religious-based recovery methodology is, of course, AA. Right. Um, it was very much steeped in spirituality. But first of all, I've never really been a conventional spiritual person. I consider myself incredibly orthodox, but if you actually look at orthodox theology, it's not what we consider uh, to be a mainstream theology in a lot of cases. Um, I study saints, I study mystics, I study um, these really, really early understandings of theology, but um, some of theology in Christianity has really been co-opted by voices that actually aren't orthodox at all. Right. And so, um, so I think there's a lot about Tempest actually that really hits the buttons of my spirituality without being explicitly Christian. But for me, what I loved about Tempest and what was so important to me is that it wasn't just about not drinking. It was about, to use Holly's words, building a life you don't want to escape from. And for me, that was a spiritual endeavor. I mean, the idea that I could build a life and um, the idea that I believe, you know, God grants us life, that is really what, what made that um, actually vitally important to not just my sobriety, but my spiritual life. Mm, wow. That's so, I, I love that answer. That makes a lot of sense to me as well. And <clears throat> so, I mean, it's a very you know, there's the trope, right, of the Catholic priest that's an alcoholic. I mean, do, are there places for priests to turn as, I mean, is there like a community of priests that they can kind of offer support to each other because it's a very specific 
vocation and it seems like it would get so complicated um you know as a someone that people look up to but yet you're human and you and you struggle just like the rest of us do that's a fantastic question i'm i'm in an interesting space with that and a lot of my current ministry is essentially born out of that question because my experience is I certainly know priests who are really actively involved in AA. Um, a priest that I know, John Zoll, wrote a book called Grace and Addiction, and it's a, a, a look at the 12 steps through the lens of grace and the, just the radical grace of God. So I definitely know, and then I don't know if you're familiar with Nadia Boltz Weber, but yes, she absolutely. has shared. Yeah, and she has shared about her journey using some sort of AA terminology, or at least that's how I interpreted it. So I think AA is certainly a viable option for people who are spiritual. Uh, what I'm finding in my own work is that when I shared publicly that I was sober, my inbox just got flooded. Uh -huh. And I, my DMs on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook were just inundated with people who were struggling, some of whom are clergy, some of whom are not, but who just really vocalized this, you know, I don't know what it is. AA doesn't feel right for me, but something about this part of my life has to change. And I don't know what to do. And so I'm working right now looking through the lens of uh, mystic spirituality, Ignatian spirituality, and spiritual practices, and how we can use those things to create a different way, um, not in opposition to AA, but as an additional way to support people who are discerning this part of their lives. Mm. I was going to, uh, Aaron, I'm a, a spiritual seeker as well as I think many people who, um, who come to sobriety are, and I tend to get baptized a lot. Like that just <laughs> happened in my youth. I, I was seeking different mm -hmm. churches. Um, and so for me, because I do practice 12 step and I, and I go to meetings, um, I actually liked that. I felt like it wasn't religious. Um, even though I, I believe, I mean, the beginnings of it was steeped in kind of the Oxford group and those men coming together and putting these ideas, um, you know, fourth for the, for the world. And I think when I, when I um, go to meetings now, what I look for is kind of the woo in the big book. And I look for some things mm -hmm. that are kind of going to lead me. Like when I hear them talk about getting rocketed to the fourth dimension, I'm like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> or the sunshine of the spirit. Or when I hear some really beautiful things that I could, that resonate with me, or when they talk about um, intuition, you know, I kind of latch on to those things. Like, and I think there's a little phrase of take what you want and leave the rest. And so that's what kind of gets me, keeps me tethered. But I'm, I'm curious, like, is it, I would imagine maybe you've done some research on this, but is it, is it a religious organization or I don't feel like it is, but is, would you perceive it that way? From what I know, as someone who does not participate in that program, um, it was, actually in large part sort of created by Episcopalians hmm. and um, actually uh, Calvary St. George's is a church in New York City where I have some uh, friends and colleagues who are priests or who are affiliated with the church and it was out of that church that I believe the two founders of AA met 
and began to say, we'll put together some meetings. And um, I do very much know that it is open and that people can derive what a higher power is very differently. Um, I read Russell Brand's book about Mm -hmm. the 12 steps. (laughs) Which was excellent, right? It was so good because I just like, for me, I mean, y'all are the toolbox people and I'm a toolbox person. You understand this. You get to take what's helpful, take what serves you. And then, um, and if you don't accept all of something, that's okay. Like you've got to figure out how to build whatever practices keep you sober, but also keep you grounded. And I think spirituality for me is a lot about grounding. Mm. And so I go through seasons where a certain spiritual practice is like breathing. And then I go through seasons where it doesn't serve me. And so I'll set it aside, you know, lovingly and, and try something new. And so I think I'm very open to how we, we change as people and how spirituality adapts to us. And mm-hmm. I think what I understand about AA is it can be as adaptable and as changing as we are. Mm. I think, yeah, that's Love right that. on the money, Erin. Mm-hmm. That's right on the money. And, um, and that, yeah, I like that. Thank you. I just, I, I don't know enough about it. And I actually, I mean, this is going to sound a little, I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I kind of don't care. <laughs> like for me, it just, it helps me. And I'm kind of if in this bubble. If it's working for you, right. yeah. If totally. it's working for you, keep doing it. If it's not, like Aaron said, yep. maybe it's time to pivot or adapt. Yeah. To some, yeah be, stay ad- adaptable. Yeah. I just, I, I like go down my rabbit holes of, um, you know, I use it as a foundation and then I kind of go off on my own research and, and yeah, just figuring things out and talking to different people. And, and um, I don't know, it just feels like as I get older as a woman too, like I'm allowed to do what I want to do. And I think in recovery, like you finding your way, right. You do the mantra project and then you, you find the way that you want to recover. And it's like, I can do what I want. <laughs> I find that very empowering in recovery. Like the, and especially with the more days I stack up, I feel um, like I grow. Right. As long as drinking is, yeah. As long as there's no alcohol on the table, everything else is. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. But on Aaron, on the flip side of that, I think I was like maybe 50 years old before I heard the term religious trauma. Like I understand, you know, like I get the extreme religious trauma, you know, abuse, but I, you know, I think that there's a spectrum of religious trauma and I don't think I realized exactly what that meant until probably like a year ago. And, you know, the effect that that can have on people, um, you know, and it can result in, you know, PTSD, severe, severe, severe PTSD, which really explains why I think there are so many people that cannot make AA work for them because there is the mention of God, because a lot of meetings in with the Lord's prayer. I mean, a lot of yeah. meetings do. Yeah. And so, you know, you can seek out those agnostic meetings and they do exist, but they're not in every city. And, um, you know, so I, I really have grown to understand that and have become way less judgmental, um, you know, when people like um, are vulnerable to that setting. 
It's interesting that you bring that up because um, I am not fully serving in a church right now, but I am a spiritual director. And so I work one-on-one with directees. Uh, Often I meet with people once a month and I pray for them and I support them spiritually. And it's just a really, you know, more focused and one-on-one pastoral relationship that I get to have with the people that I work with. And by virtue of divinity, um, a few people have reached out to me and are in active spiritual direction with me who are recovering from spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And um, I was uh, what I would call a fundamentalist Christian for a very long time and had my own breakaways with spirituality in which I essentially looked at the picture of God that was offered to me and said, if that's God, I can't worship it. Um, left the faith and then in that in that leaving really started to cultivate agency around my own understanding of belief and from that space was invited into the Episcopal Church. So I have my own history uh, especially with the way that I was taught to be as a woman, Mm -hmm. um, the way that I was taught to dress, the way that I was taught to be the sole bearer of weight of all like sexual sin or desire, you know, in a negative sense. Um, and I have done a lot of work around that, but I also feel that that trauma is what called me into the priesthood because I felt called to offer to other people nurturing and healing out of a space of saying I understand Mm -hmm. or I've had my own experiences of trauma and so while I think about what it means to kind of think in a different way about spirituality and sobriety I'm actually specifically holding up some of those stories of spiritual abuse because those people recovering from spiritual abuse also sometimes don't want to drink alcohol anymore and if AA is a triggering experience for them, we've got to figure out another way because those people are also allowed to have the tools to heal. Um, And that doesn't challenge AA. AA gets to still be fully beautiful and important in its own way. But, but how can we create basically every Avenue for everyone to recover? That's my hope. Yes. Well, that's what's so important about Holly's work, right? You know, and I think, um, I think the, the message that she's putting out there and especially with her book and the work she does with the tempest is that um, you don't have to recover just one way and the kind of absolute um, the dogma that goes around with like, you know, if you, you don't do AA, you're going to go drink or that kind of the fear based stuff that goes on in there. I absolutely hate. I think that is not the way, <laughs> you know, to scare people into sobriety. That's horrible. And I don't think it'll stick, you know, I mean, what do I know? But for me, I don't think it would stick. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love everything you said, Aaron. Um, yeah, because there should be a space at the table for everyone. And, um, and, and I know that, you know, some of the language, um, in traditional 12 step does, you know, didn't work for me, but I didn't have language around why. And, Mm. and, um, until recently and, and now I know a lot of it is because I too was raised in a very fundamental um, religious home and, and um, that was um, very anti-feminism um, 
you know, there were no women um, in the pulpit or no women on, on stage. Um, they only were allowed to, you know, be the nursery teachers mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, children under eight years old. And um, that was very, um, you know, it's, it's taken a long time for me to heal that. Yeah, the um the church that I was in, Aaron, I was Mormon was the last thing I was. And yeah, the what Sandra just said about just only seeing men in the bishopric and only seeing men have, you know, these leadership roles and seeing the women in relief society is what they called it. And that's where we learned homemaking. And I loved all that stuff. I was like, I was into it. Um, but I was there alone. I wasn't there with my family or anyone else. I just was seeking community is what I've realized what I seek, which is probably yeah. why I am drawn to a 12 step community. I like, I like yeah. community. Um, but I also love what's happened here in sobriety in these last five years of how we can create community in other ways and that it doesn't necessarily have to be through 12 step. And so even though I practice that as part of my stuff, like I dig all these new people and ways and thoughts and, and that we get to kind of, I don't know, do it differently. And I loved hearing that you were an Episcopal priest. I was like, this is going to be rad. <laughs> yeah, because you don't hear about women being priests that often. So, yeah. Yeah, I was loving what you were saying um, because in the fundamentalist church, I felt called to be a minister when I was quite young. Mm -hmm. I was maybe 15 and uh, that was, quote, not something God asks women to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, you know, a 15-year-old woman who's really coming into herself. Uh, and the only person she thinks has any authority to speak about spirituality says, no, what did I have to do but to accept that as being true? Sure. And mm -hmm. it was not until later when I was in college and you know, I think I was already becoming not a great Baptist because I was studying English and literature mm -hmm. um, that included such ridiculous things as reading the Bible as literature for my comp two class. Sure. Same, um, <laughs> same experience. Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny because I also look back at it and the characteristics of a woman in, in that tradition I've never had. Like, this idea that I was going to be meek and mild in what universe? I've just never <laughs> been a meek and mild woman. I've, I'm the loudest person I know in any setting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, I was never going to be that archetype. And it was upsetting to be always trying to force myself into it. And then, and then feeling the weight and the shame of never fitting. Mm -hmm. And so what the Episcopal church really ushered me into was my priest at the time in college, um, Father Jeff, saying, you know we ordain women, right? <laughs> mm. And me in South Alabama being like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Because he was a man, you know, and so he right. was, you know, you're like, not again. in Alabama. <laughs> and I mean, you know, my story from there is quite wild because I was sent directly to seminary after undergrad. I was ordained a deacon at the age of 24 and a priest at the age of 25. Wow. That's and so really, rough. yeah, so I forged a priesthood at a very young age as a young woman. Um, and it, 
certainly had its challenges, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because of the experience of, of what I've been able to learn about myself and also like uh, other women need to see women in pulpits, like flood your pulpits with women, you know, put, because, because if you look again, as I mentioned earlier on it in our time together, Orthodox Christianity had female ministers. We know through scripture that women in Jesus's time were teaching in their churches. This is not, um, the idea that women should not be ordained and should not have leadership in the church was purely a convention that came out of a desire for male dominance, not right. out of a desire for living into the scriptural truth of Christianity. Right. It's not biblical. Yeah. Because there's examples otherwise. I did not know that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. I, um, I love Nadia Boltz-Weber as well. Mm. And she, you know, she, she, I was church of Christ as well. And that's um, how she was, how she was raised. And so I, when she, when I first heard her story, you know, and how she, when she got to college and she started taking women's studies classes, she was like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wait, what? I, I didn't get this information growing up. And, um, so yeah, I I love her because of that, and she's Episcopalian as well, right? She is Lutheran. Lutheran, we are thank in you. Full Sorry about communion. That. No, right. you're fine. We're in full communion. So um, <laughs> we, Lutheran church, Lutheran pastors can come into Episcopal churches and vice versa. That was the decision made, really, I think, in the past five or so years. Interesting. So that's yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, well, so. Before we talk about creativity, I have to ask you, who's your favorite mystic? You know, this is like asking me to pick my favorite child. Um, <laughs> I don't even have children, by the way. Uh, so, so I'll tell you what's top of mind for me is okay. I, wrote a pe- I wrote a piece that went out yesterday to commemorate the, the feast day of St. Hildegard of Bingen. Oh, yes. Uh, she is I- just an icon. I have the, her, I have the book that Matthew Fox wrote about her. I mean, my gosh, you just look at her and she, she is a composer of music, incredibly well-known for the music she's composed. She is a saint. She was a mystic writer and spiritual. She was also an herbalist and a healer. Mm -hmm. She had incredible connections with nature and divinity in the earth. And, um, I love her and I, uh, yeah, that's probably who I would offer, especially since I just spent some time reflecting on her. Can I um, ask for the listeners who may not know what a mystic is and, and myself included, can you, could you explain what a mystic is? Yes, of course. Uh, mystic spirituality is born out of um, really, I think, understanding the revelations of God. So if you look into, um, re- so another person who I really love is Howard Thurman. Um, Howard Thurman is a, is a more modern day mystic than Hildegard, and he was actually a spiritual advisor to Martin Luther King. And so um, really, really love his work. But what you'll notice as you look through mystic spirituality is that one of the common traits of it is that it involves God speaking to people and then people bringing the illuminations of God's voice into the public, um, into the public 
collective knowledge. So uh, Revelations of Divine Love, um, and if you, if you read some excerpts of Hildegard, it's very much about how, you know, God spoke to me, God appeared to me in a dream, um, God appeared to me in a leaf, God appeared to me in the people around me and their stories and their witnesses. So um, I, think, I think the core term I would use for that is just revelation. Okay. Right. Thank you so much. Right. So it's like... Yeah, I always understood a mystic as someone who's who God has spoken to directly, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. So like Joan of Arc. Okay. And, and I love Joan. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. I so I did learn about some mystics. I would go down a rabbit hole when I would I, I went to college just recently. I'm a late bloomer, Aaron. And when I was taking my art history classes and I was learning about the arc lines, um, you know, the golden kind of radiant glow on a lot of this art, um, religious art. Mm -hmm. And then I would learn about one or two mystics would be thrown in there. And I would kind of go down that rabbit hole and learn a little bit about them. But I have to say that's been several years ago. But now that you've just mentioned this again today, I'm going to go check out Howard Thurman and Hildegard. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you wrote an article on that? Yes, I, I write for a publication um, called Grow Christians, and we do, we observe the feast days. So I'm just a general contributor for that. And Joan of Arc, I just have to throw this out there, Joan of Arc is a saint in the church, and um, just absolutely love her witness. And uh, yeah. And there's a lot of female mystics too, and that's what I love about mystic study, is you can kind of hop from female to female as well if you want to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> I love which it, I rabbit do hole. yes <laughs> <laughs> there's so much sometimes there's so much in sobriety you guys like just even this conversation so I'll write it down in my notebook and then I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of Hildegard and then that's what I freaking love though that I can have clear a clear mm. mind to kind of take me and follow my intuition to go hey this is like zinging in me right now like why is that happening oh that happened before and I kind of did it on my own and now here it is being presented by Sandra and Aaron talking about again I want to go check that out like I that's how I follow my curiosity in um, recovery and then I've been making art with golden arc lines lately and kind of digging that so it's like all the things start intersecting and I think that's God talking to me (laughs) <laughs> yes, right, right. Well, that's Through that revelation. Yeah, yeah. And that's what creativity is, right? That's tapping into something that you cannot describe or explain, um, like a higher power or, or um, yeah, I just get to follow yeah. it, which is, which is like divine the, presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't fully understand exactly what a mystic was, but now I'm going to I'll get into it. Thank you. I love that. So um, then talking about creativity, Erin, obviously you're a writer. You mentioned publications that you write for. You have a blog as well, and you send out a newsletter. Um, What can you say about creativity? What does that look like for you now? Is it different than when you were still actively drinking Yes, I would love to talk about that because I, um, I'd be curious if y'all also held this. I was a, you know, an English major and you just read all of these stories, primarily of men who just wrote these gorgeous texts, but had 
honestly, really rough drinking histories, you know? And so I had really connected all of that. And I thought that um, alcohol was a source of creativity, that it would sort of unlock this dimension that I couldn't naturally access. Um, alongside the fact that I thought that it made nights in working, quote unquote, more fun. Mm -hmm. um, like if I'm going to be stuck at home tonight working on this essay, I might as well have a drink. Um, but what I realized truly and very clearly in sobriety is that my whole essence is creative now. I mean, I don't know how to get away from creativity so much so that I might burn myself out. Like I just <laughs> feel so, I mean, Tammy, you were talking about these rabbit holes, like, I'll wake up one morning and by the end of the day, I, I'm studying neuroscience. Right. Like, you're like, I am. you're like, you get off the floor stunned. <laughs> like what happened? Yep. All the time. All the time. But then I'm, right. I'm, I'm in a conversation with normal people and I'm like, well, you know, the dopaminergic energy of that specific <laughs> concoction. And I'm just like, I need to calm down. I don't think I can go out in public anymore. Um, but it's that kind of reality. Like I, I have the ability and the energy and the desire and the, the, the consciousness to go down those rabbit holes. I used to want to go down them yes, and then never made it there. Or I used to have big ideas about a, a nice website, a newsletter, creating X, Y, and Z, creating, you know, more writing, submitting more for publication, but I never did it. And right. now it's like my desire reaches its fruition and my creativity makes it outside of the storehouses of my own brain. And that, that is expression. And mm -hmm. I think um, the expressive part of it has really only been nurtured and, and grown in my sobriety. Yes, I agree. I call that bar stool brilliance. Like I could hold court <laughs> for hours about all the things I was going to do. <laughs> right. And, and then the next morning we're like, wah, wah. <laughs> and execution was, you know, 1% if that. You just said morning. Can we talk about mornings? Who yes. knew? Let's right. Do it. I mean, look at us. I, <laughs> I, but I mean, that's the sort of thing is I would, I would grieve that I, I said I was a reader, but I never really read anything. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, I get up in the morning, I drink my coffee, I do my morning ritual, I read a little bit, and then I go to my job. Who knew? that mm -hmm. that was possible. I mean, I feel like that is the, the new dimension that got unlocked was just having this, this time in this space and the space before bed to curl up with a book and read a couple of chapters and, and remember them, you know, radical concepts. <laughs> to really honor yourself, right? I, I just wasn't honoring myself when I was drinking. So that time maybe that is the rocketed to the fourth dimension. The dimension is pre-dawn, you know, right. and some Morning. people call that like an ungodly hour. Like I feel like it's the godliest. Like it's, it's, mm. that is the time to make conscious contact for me. Um, I can do it throughout the day with my higher power, but I definitely um, feel like my morning, as soon as my eyelids open and my brain starts churning, I need to make contact before it goes off the rails, you know, mm. but it is a beautiful time of day and you get that back, right? You get that back in recovery or when you're not yeah. anesthetizing yourself with things and numbing out for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I w- oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I had no, question. go ahead. Um, so I know that you were kind of, um, not kind of, you were uh, leading the creative month over at Tempest. Can you tell us how that came to be or what, what the, exactly that is? I'm sure I'm not saying it very eloquently, but the work that you did over at Tempest, um, because I, I was reading that throughout the month and I was just curious how that came to be. Yes, um, I am a peer coach, so I work uh, face-to-face in our processing calls with our students. I also work on our content team, mm-hmm. and we, uh, for our daily program, every month we have a topic, and uh, it is really a part of this sort of, as we've talked about, this ongoing journey of acknowledging that there's the process of you know getting sober, maintaining sobriety, but then it trickles into every other part of your life. Mm-hmm. And so how are we as a sober community really acknowledging those different parts of your life that it trickles into? And, you know, we had decided we wanted a month on creativity and um, I've been writing since I was about 10 years old. So I, you know, I'm an active writer and um, I was just invited to really write a month long course of videos and workbooks and reflection questions and engagement opportunities for us to explore creativity, which for me was sort of really trying to break creativity out of whatever hold we have placed on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, perfectionism, shame, um, expectations versus reality, um, unconventional types of, of um, artistic and creative expression, and then really connecting all of that to what it means for us to just be by our very nature storytellers. Because um, I really think that what I, I love about creativity is that we're actually all creative. And as I said in the work that I did with Tempest, um, if all you are doing is bringing yourself to life, that is a creative act. Absolutely right. You start with your own story, your own excavation, and however you process that and and is a creative act. Absolutely. I, I think yeah, we we talk about that on here too, Aaron. It's like I think everyone is creative, and when you're when you are creating a life that you don't want to escape from, that's the absolute that's the act right there. And for me, when I struggled with finding a god or a higher power, I kept I like the word creator, you know, mm. and that really resonated with me too as a creative person. It was like okay, that sticks. I like that. I can I can believe in that for a little bit until I figure it out for myself. Um, but yeah, I, I think that everyone is creative. And once you remove alcohol, it seems like um, your callings will come to you. You know, you'll be able to listen. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to hear it. Um, I've been thinking about um, certain activities um, I, in, in the coaching that I'm doing. Um, they talk about the ING activities for creativity, which is like sewing, um, painting, knitting you know, things that are active. Um, do you, do you have anything that like in your class or what you taught that is, uh, that could get people to start a new hobby or something, or is that what you, is that what the focus is too? like to try to find something that they connect with? You know, I did a whole worksheet on unconventional types of creativity in which Mm. I really just wanted to redefine the act. So for Mm. instance, you know, cooking is a creative act. 
um, you're taking all these disparate items and you're artistically bringing them together into harmony and into this one, you know, final production or being. Um, I also talked about uh, iPhone photography, you know, uh, what are ways that we can remove money and class from a conversation on creativity? I think sometimes it can become, or it can feel expensive mm -hmm. to be artistic. But if, if art really surrounds us and is always around us, then we can certainly acknowledge that it doesn't necessarily have to be um, anything that has cost. Also spoke a little bit about something that's recently become really powerful for me, which uh, to your point about creator has just been trying to immerse myself in nature mm. and acknowledge that just observing creation is actually creative inspiration and um to, to our rabbit holes earlier just kind of letting myself go down those rabbit holes about how fascinating the earth really is and letting that almost be the the ground point from which i do some of my other creative expression yeah i love that when you call upon yourself as a co-creator because that's what we are um and then when you are communing, you're right, communing with nature, there's all kinds of things that can come from that. Not to mention just being grounded and settling yourself. And writing, I think for writing is also one of those creative acts that all you have to have is a pen and a, and a journal, right? Mm -hmm. Or a piece of paper. And doing morning pages is kind of a very, I think, a spiritual act too, of that kind of creative brain dump that goes into a page. It doesn't take a lot of money, but you're right. Sometimes visual art can seem like it is an expensive endeavor. And um, when I work with women, I tell them like, all you need, I, I started out with a pan of um, watercolors I got from a flea market for a buck. And like, that's yeah. what I did for a whole one year in 2014. I, I drew in my journal and made a painting or a drawing for every day for a year before I got sober. That was my pre, that was my pre sober activity when I was hung over every morning. Um, I love so it. it doesn't have to look, yeah, it doesn't have to look, um, it doesn't have to be a bunch of canvases or yeah, a big endeavor. It can just be this kind of quiet personal, um, practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't I, have to look like anyone else's. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a comparison monger. <laughs> and so I begin to look at Tammy's beautiful art and think, well, I can't do that. Mm. Well, okay, Erin, that might be accurate, but that's also <laughs> not the question. <laughs> the question was not, can you become Tammy? Right. The question was like, can you become Erin and her fullness? Mm. I like that. I love that. Um, before we get to the three things in your toolbox item, Erin, tell me what is your comedy career look like? Yes, we got to get to this. Yes. I have no comedy career. Uh, <laughs> I should be very clear about that. Um, my, my comedy, and why not? <laughs> my comedy career is that I'm obsessed with all things comedy and I spend an exorbitant amount of time on Twitter. Uh, I, I love comedy and I don't want to bleed into your toolkit, your toolkit question for me because I'm very ready for it. But um, <laughs> comedy has always been a part of my life. I think it has always been a source of joy and it's one of the hobby holes that I was ready to go down when I decided to, to get into things. And I like being funny. 
I like hearing other people laugh. And if I can create opportunities for that, especially in the midst of really difficult and grievous times, I right. think that begins to be a little bit of a crack to the veneer that lets some of the light get in. Yeah. And you know, sobriety can be such a serious endeavor too. It's nice when we can add a little bit of levity to it because I don't know, there are many times that I probably would have walked into traffic had it not been for, um, you know, a sense of humor. Right. Well, and sobriety is funny. Yes, it can be for sure. I'll tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories about getting sober was, um, and it, and it's funny. So I, I go to this event, you know, and I'm at someone's home and I'm not drinking. I'm walking around with like a glass of water or something. And I, I bump my hip on a table and it's full of like glass figurines. <laughs> And so you just start here, clatter, 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 as all the glass figurines fall over and everyone's looking at me. And in my brain, I think, oh, I thought I was klutzy because I'm drinking. This is just who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That has been revealed to me as well, Erin. We are sisters in that way. (laughs) Right, right. There are other characteristics the same, you know, maybe not quite that one, but there's been plenty that have been revealed to me. Like, I'm just an asshole, many, a lot. (laughs) And that did not go away. You can, yeah, you can't take the asshole out of me. Um, That's so funny. I love that. Well, and I don't, I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, but I appreciate that you share some of your tweets on um, Instagram Mm -hmm. because you are very, very funny on Twitter. (laughs) So thank you. Yes. Um, We'll have to mention your, your Twitter handle. Um, I was going to ask about, I just signed up this morning, Erin, for your sobriety and spirituality newsletter. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and just what prompted you to do it and, and, um, and how you keep that up as a practice? Like, do you have a, a schedule or are you kind of off the cuff and you do it when you're inspired? Thank you for asking. Yes, this is a recent, um, a recent decision to, along the lines of what I had said earlier, just start creating some resources. Um, I recently wrote a short prayer for trying to quit drinking or trying to quit anything else. And basically just trying to put out any prayers or actual, you know, spiritual practices that people could begin to implement um, alongside any discernment they're doing around sobriety. And um, I have it all on my website. It's also all uploaded as a blog, so it's accessible anytime. But the newsletter part of it, it will be a monthly reflection. Um, I think I'm doing them on the first Friday of the month just to kind of keep me accountable to continuing to do it. And, uh, you know, I don't want to spam people. And so I'll do a digest each month of everything I've written that month while also uh, sharing links as I write them. But just trying to start that reservoir for people who, as I mentioned before, um, maybe are even using AA but want to supplement that or AA didn't connect for them, but they still want a spiritual framework through which to understand their journey of sobriety or um, Mm. coming into sober curiosity. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, signed up as well. Yeah, so many. And I think, um, again, when I got sober five and a half years ago, 
um, I met Holly and Laura on Instagram um, the year that I was sober curious, you know, that I was kind of going down rabbit holes as well and, and, you know, painting at my table with my coffee, you know, while I was hungover or whatever. And, um, and we became friends and that really helped me because there wasn't a lot of voices out there. There wasn't, I wasn't hearing about any newsletters about sobriety and spirituality. You know what I mean? Like that just wasn't happening. Um, and if it was, I had no access to it. I didn't understand that that world even existed. So, um, so I appreciate that and I'm looking forward to getting it. And I, and I know that our, our listeners can sign up for that as well on your website, which we're going to share at the end here. Yeah. Good. Oh, this has been such a, just a great, um, conversation, Erin. Um, I know our listeners are going to dig it. We've, we've had a couple of, um, guests on that have talked about, you know, either their religion growing up or it's, it's come up a lot. So I think that, I think that our listeners are going to love this conversation. Um, is there anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say, is there anything Aaron that we didn't cover that maybe you want to share with our listeners or something that we didn't get to that, that you feel, you know, you want to get out? I don't think I can think of anything. Um, I love being able to connect with people on social media. So please do follow me, follow me for my spirituality, follow me for my cats, follow me for my vintage (laughs) fashion. I have a lot going on over there, but, um, but yeah, I, I like, I love connecting with people anyway. I can support you. The The other thing I'll add that I've put on my website is if there's a type of resource that you could really use that would be really helpful for you in your sobriety or sober curiosity, use the contact section on the website and send me a note and maybe I can write that for you and make it widely available for other people. I've I've shared a couple of things that actually wrote for people who are in spiritual direction with me, but then I share it widely because I think, you know, share the love, let people get more resources. You never know who might really be looking for that very thing. Absolutely. Mm. So much service, Erin, so much service here with your work. That's, that's very generous, very generous. Um, So yeah, Sandra, you want to take her into three things and then we'll share all her social media and all that. Yeah, so this is the part of the show that we um, ask our guests to share three items from their Unruffled Toolbox, and they can be things that help you. They can be things that are creative items, or they can be related to recovery. What do you have, Erin, for our listeners? This was such a difficult question to answer because... (laughs) At Tempest, we do content workshops and my content workshop is on toolkits because (laughs) I'm crazy about them. I started building a toolkit before I was even sober. I found Holly's blog and, um, you know, I would like go back to drinking, but I would keep my toolkit items. And so I love talking about how toolkits are not just for people who don't drink. I think everyone alive should have a toolkit because it's that way of serving yourself out of love when you're in times of challenge or when you need to get grounded. So I was so excited and I follow uh, your toolbox posts, uh, dare I say religiously, um, (laughs) when they show up. You may may say that. (laughs) Well, speaking of religion, um, it's probably unsurprising that one of the number one things in my toolkit is some sort of grounding spiritual text. Um, that ranges everything from, you know, I, obviously the Bible for me as a priest, 
Um, also, the Episcopal Church has the Book of Common Prayer, which is all of our liturgies and prayers that are, you know, the prayers that formed me into being a priest to begin with. And then um, the other thing that I would say is just those mystics that I mentioned, you know, the, um, the, the Howard Thurman, the Hildegard, and, and allowing that to also be its own rabbit hole. Mm. Mm. I like that. One. What you got for number two? Number two uh, is not pictured, but I believe in a good red lip. <laughs> um, I won't speak for anyone else, but, you know, being sober doesn't actually mean that you are always confident, that you always feel amazing about yourself, but it does mean that you have the capacity to to, or I should say, it does mean that I have the capacity to move through those feelings and to, to conjure up ways to really build my self-esteem and build my confidence in myself. And there is just something about a good red lip that sets me on my way. And so I love that. It's also very expressive of my personality and the fact that I um, have a loudness about me and uh, my femininity, which is really important to me, feels really expressed in that. So I think having a good red lipstick available at all times is vitally important. How are you um, reconciling with this mask wearing bullshit and lipstick? I know it's problematic. It's problematic. It really is problematic. Uh, <laughs> uh, to answer your question, not well. Not well. Um, I feel like just a little paper bag wandering around. Um, I, I thought about getting one of the masks that actually has a red lip on it. But... <laughs> Honestly, I really don't go anywhere because I like I live alone and I, I'm, a, I'm a remote worker and it feels so much safer. Like if you can stay home, please, for the love of God, stay home. Okay. And so um, my red lip antics are largely Zoom based. Right. <laughs> ah, I like it. Well, we got we got a look at the red lip this morning before we started recording. <laughs> so I appreciate it. I do. Yes. Appreciate the morning yes. red lip. Yes. It was. And and OK, just one more. Then one more question about your what's your favorite red lipstick currently yeah you gotta let us know that you know i use this incredibly cheap it's made by rimmel and it's just a matte red um i can even send it to you for show notes if you're if you're interested <laughs> and then um i also have a jeffree star uh, I actually have it within arm's reach, so I've grabbed it to, to share it with you. Uh, it's called Red Rum, and it's um, it's got a little bit of a longer last to it, uh, but those are really my two go-tos currently. Second mention of a Jeffree Star lipstick on this podcast. I'm really? Mm-hmm. Really? Who, who was the other one? Christy Coulter? Uh, no. Um, who was it? Um, well, uh, sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, second edition of Christy Coulter loves her some red lipstick, and I like that she talks about lips and then other color lipsticks as well. But that's a big thing for her. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna have to try on some red lipstick this weekend. So thank you. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> What's your third thing? What's your third? Yeah, my third thing is my favorite, and it has a story attached to it. Um, I talk about this often at Tempest. Um, so when I was getting sober. As I mentioned earlier, I felt very isolated and I felt like isolation was really one of the only ways I could begin to string together some of my time. Um, 
but I also was just so lonely and I had to figure out how I was going to fill my weekends. And I was very used to weekends being heavy drinking periods, you know, going out with friends and um, finding ways to be social. And so what I ended up doing is I started really investing in stand up comedy. And so every Friday night I would curl up on my couch and I would watch a stand up special and they became integral to my sobriety. Mm. And I, I, I distinctly remember watching one of John Mulaney's skits or not skits, but one of his, um, his specials. And he does a bit in which he shares that he is sober. And mm. I had this moment of being like, wow, like, he is sober. He is still fun. He is successful. He is on Netflix right now. Like this person is not someone that you would be ashamed of. You would be proud of them. Mm. And I began to really cultivate this feeling of, of sobriety being something that I could really be proud of and that would really nurture me. I also would end the night laughing so hard. I forgot I was alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love and that. that was yeah. really, really helpful for me. And as we said before, comedy is still a huge part of my life. Um, and so, yeah, I just think comedy, comedy can serve us so well in those moments where we don't know if this is the right decision for us, by just helping us get through that feeling and get to a brighter future. Mm, I agree. I, laughter is good medicine, right? I mean, it just, it really is, especially in early sobriety. You are so right. Oh yeah. And yeah, because things, at least my, my early sobriety felt so dark and kind of, so I got Mm -hmm. sober in the winter and it was just, there wasn't a lot of light and yeah, to have a good hard laugh. I have them so often now in sobriety and with the women (laughs) that I hang out with and know, and I just, yeah, there's nothing like it. It is good medicine. You're right. Uh, thank you so much, Erin. Thank you, Erin. And you know what? I can't leave this podcast without saying that it's Sharon Walters, um, oh, the collage yes. artist from London, was the other person that mentioned Jeffree Star lipstick. She had this purple lipstick that was just, it's like That's amazing. Right. And it was Jeffree Star. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Official sponsor of the Unruffled Podcast. Right. <laughs> Jeffree Star. That's right. That's right. She's the queen of lipstick, too. She's yep. yeah, she a good yes. lipstick. All she different colors, too. Always, yeah. so, always has great lipstick. So anyway, I think just lipstick in general is just, yeah, great, great tool. Um, Erin, this was lovely. I loved talking to you today. I love your Alabama accent. It's very near and dear to my heart. I, um, lots of my whole entire family's from Alabama. And I think I told you that at Holly's book signing, but, um, anyway, I, I, our guests are going to love you and thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah. We want Erin to share how people can find her. That's not, forget oh um how can they find you Erin and see your yes again um exorbitant amounts of time on twitter uh (laughs) more than anyone should so definitely um the two places that i love to post the most i'll say it that way are uh twitter and instagram both of which are just at Erin jean ward and um that's e-r-i-n-j-e-a-n-w-a-r-d-e 
my ward is spelled a little bit differently, but um, I love following people back. I love connecting. Feel free to send me a message if there's something that speaks to you or that you are looking for to support you in your path. Yeah. And your website is the same. It's your name, erinjeanward.com. And that's where they can sign up for your newsletter. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So everything's just Aaron Jean Ward to make my life simpler. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, Aaron, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for your time and, and sharing what you shared. This today. has been the best. Oh, good. good. This, this has been so lovely. Y'all are um, really an inspiration. I'm a listener. So mm -hmm. it's really fun to go from listener to guest. I can't <laughs> recommend it highly enough. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, thank you for giving me one of those beautiful sober mornings we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, this is great. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll I'm going to go. I'm off and running today. And you know what? We get to do that. We get to do that in sobriety. Have a fun, beautiful Friday. Oh, this airs on Monday. But people, it's Friday when we're recording this. <laughs> Thanks, Erin. Bye. Thank you all so much. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening. <laughs>